So hello world, welcome to Hopecast. This is our podcast on sexuality, spirituality, queerness and wellness. And I'm really jumping in here because we were just having a bit of a preamble and Matthew just mentioned about being out, being working, seeing friends, dating. And I thought, right, we need to jump on that one. So let's say hello to our fellow hosts for today. Hello, I'm Matthew and I'm based in London. And hello, I'm Nick and also based here in London. We're missing Anders and Yasser today, but hopefully they'll be on ExtraCast next week. And Oliver's going to be joining us shortly. He has a dog emergency this morning. I hope he's okay. He'll be joining us soon, so we'll be able to welcome him when he arrives. So, what, what are you two up to? What's been making you hopeful lately? It's a full moon, so I, I sometimes find it's harder to feel hopeful around a full moon. <laughs> really? I thought full moon was a good thing. Well, it, full moon has a lot of strong energy to it. So, yeah, there there, there may be some ceremonies and things that, that can be done around a full moon. But um, I was uh, running a few different groups recently over the last few days. And so many people were coming in with tales of emotional struggle or discord. Or uh, I had a part of the ceiling of my flat fell in. Uh, a few days ago and so um, so what I find it quite interesting keeping track of, of, of the moon cycle because you know sometimes like, there's external stimuli that determine like when I used to have arguments with my partner a lot and they always fell around a full moon uh, so yeah there's something about um, uh, staying present to that and probably right now I mean the sort of thing uh the thing I'm most hopeful for is finding a new home uh, mm -hmm. so I'm just busy look flat hunting at the moment do you believe in like manifesting these things like do you think if you put that intention out into the world then something will present itself to you I do I think you sometimes need to be quite clear around that because I, I went away to Greece for uh, nine days and when I came back I saw an advert which absolutely fitted everything I'd been manifesting um, and when I contacted them it had gone during the week that I'd been away. Ooh. So <laughs> Sh Shady universe. <laughs> I, I hadn't quite clarified that I wanted to both see something I really liked which is on the street that I wanted to move on to oh, no the way. garden and uh, all the things that I'd been like, this would be my perfect place. And, and when I saw it, I was like, wow, look at this. That's amazing. It's like even the street I want to move on to um, in, in Crouch End. Uh, and then, yeah, no answer when I contacted them and the ad disappeared the next day. Teasing you with that. It's very tantalising because it was like literally if I'd been here and uh, as I was doing looking every day, then that would have been somewhere I'd have gone to have a look at. So, yeah, there's something about I think the law of attraction, what can undermine it is if we then have like a a negative script, which and my script and, and interesting because we're going to be talking around dating and such like. And, you know, my script is very much that whatever I want is always out of reach. And do you think that gets reaffirmed somehow? Yes. So, I mean, that, you know, literally I've, I've spent the next four weeks looking and I haven't seen anything that's come close to, to, to being the same as that. And, and there was a feeling of, 
you know, literally there was something there and it was almost like I had it in my fingertips uh, in that I messaged them to ask about viewing, but then it was just, uh, it, it was then no longer there again. Mm. Um, and there's a, a pattern that I, like I, I found a studio a few years ago that I really loved, but um, uh, the financing didn't come together. So uh, they, the agent ended up just putting it back on the market again. Um, so there's that feeling that, oh, you know, someone else is enjoying that. So from the, the Buddhist perspective is to come to sympathetic joy, uh, that, you know, someone else is now really enjoying that space. Um, but it's very difficult to sort of when it, it's almost like there's a succession of like seeing someone else dating the person that you'd found in attractive or, you know, someone else moving into a position of, work or teaching or facilitating things um uh, so there's a, and then that brings me back to that 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 question of so what is sort of like sabotaging me underneath that you know what belief or what unconscious belief is there that is sabotaging that um uh, and that's the thing to really bring to the surface. Um, I think it's very good of you to to believe that those people will now be enjoying the things that you manifested. I'd just go around and burn it down, but that's <laughs> probably not a very spiritual thing to do. And maybe this is something that we can offer for our listeners. Maybe they could send some good karma your way, send some good intentions your way so that it's not just you manifesting this, but you've got the, the power of the people around the world. So if everyone can focus a bit of energy and then just see what happens. Good. Let's see by the next podcast what has been manifested. <laughs> we'll update. If we can't find it, we'll just blame the listeners. Yes. Uh, <laughs> how about you, Matt? What's been making you hopeful? Um, lots of things, actually. I've been um doing a gardening course over the last few weeks um mm. in my local community garden which is really enjoyable and just met such a diverse range of people of all ages and backgrounds and it's been so nice to connect with very different people and just having like such good funny deep meaningful chats with these people whilst we learn gardening skills and like work in allotments and yeah, it's been really nice. Um, there was something that really struck me this week when we were talking about like uh, ecosystems and like gardens and how this plant over here will seed and help that bit and the bees will pollinate and take everything where it needs to go and just how how well nature just works and like how it's constantly providing everything that it needs to just sustain and grow and then something will come and uh kill something off but then a new thing will grow in its place um and it really just made me think about the interconnectedness of not only nature but like us as humans and how we can all help each other in our various journeys and paths and if we were much more collaborative and collective how much we could uh, achieve as as a race and as people um purely by helping other people um, in that process so yeah I've kind of been my whole gardening uh, journey has kind of coming coming into the spiritual realm and teaching me 
more things, which has been really lovely. Um, I've also been um, talking with two of my other drag friends about a studio, which we might all be getting together for all of our various drag pursuits, which is really exciting. Wow. I can stop cluttering my room with all of the sewing <laughs> and crafting and wigs and costumes. So that's really exciting. I'm being very positive and hopeful that that moving and having some place to do all of that is going to be really beneficial for the next part of the journey. Yeah, Brilliant. exciting times. I don't know if the questions are linked. The first question I was going to ask was related to gardening. And then I wonder if it will also help me to frame my second question. Because I was going to ask you, what do you think your places in the garden of the world um I think for me especially after this whole kind of similarities between nature and just seeing the benefits of being in a community and sharing and helping each other out I've noticed even more so that like queer people are the bridges between every community in the world like we exist in every corner of the globe in every religion in every uh, race in every yeah background and culture and it's um I think there's something so powerful to be able to bridge all of those different things that people might think they've got no, nothing in common with um and I think that's that's how I feel my I can't remember the word you used but like my uh role my role in the garden is to be one of those bridges and I think bringing people together who you would just never think like I've yeah some of the people I've met at the gardening course are so far removed from my world in drag and theatre and yet have such good uh, honest genuine connections with um so I think that's my role is to be that bridge and help educate and teach and share and help others to find the magic and colour and special creatures that we are in this queer-dumb. And, I mean, I wish I'd written it down or said it out loud now because it's, you're going to think, oh, yeah, of course he was going to say that all along. But my second question was going to be, what do you think you might teach drag from your studio? Because I could really see you in a role of like helping people find their inner queen. I think you'd be such an amazing teacher of that. Mm, yeah funnily I've, it's something I've definitely um considered um doing like even if it's like doing doing a makeover on someone and giving them like a, a catwalk 101 yeah it's definitely something I volunteer I volunteer with you um yeah no I'd love to especially with like younger younger kids or teenagers <laughs> yeah, that's shady is that your is that your gentle way of saying yeah thanks no fuck off you're too old no no I mean I, I, I'm happy to do makeups for everyone um <laughs> Yeah, I'm no, not I, shaving my beard. <laughs> that's fine. I, I did a bearded look quite recently, actually, because I've had a beard for the last like month just because I've been having a, a sidestep from drag for a bit because I just needed a break. Um, but yeah, I I think that's definitely something I'd like I'd get a lot from um, just sharing that um, transformational experience. Mm. So I think I think everyone gets so much from it and, and often very different things. Um, the first time I got into drag, I didn't think it would be as transformational as it was based purely on the fact that I'm already in the theatre world and had played many characters and yeah, played many roles that aren't like me. So doing drag was almost just like, it was on, like unlocking part of myself. So I think in a way it was not 
becoming something else it was like becoming more me and I think that's uh whatever that means for different people I think it's you'll be unlocking a tiny part of something you didn't really know was there maybe or hadn't hadn't thought of so yeah you'd be amazing at that I make it happen Elevaride school for disgraceful young ladies or something you know you could Elevaride academy but it reminds me of uh, another one of our listeners Catherine who um I got the pleasure to meet a couple of weeks ago uh, happy birthday Catherine um Catherine does this amazing work uh, of photography where she uh, she calls them freedom shoots and predominantly she works with women, but she's also interested in doing some work. And actually she has asked about working with drag queens. It's all coming together. You're bridging these things mm. um, because it's about working with your inner critic and really doing some work. What Catherine does is she takes these incredible photos of women who just release their inner critic. And she captures that moment where they're just their, their most selves. Mm. Maybe we need to hook you up. Yeah, let's do that. That sounds, that sounds very me. It does. Oh, you'd be so brilliant. Oh, cool. God, I feel like Silla Black. Um, for the younger listeners, just Google it. The um, <laughs> what, What's been making me hopeful? I went to the theatre last night for the first time in ages, a year over. I went to see Constellations, which is, I, I didn't really know anything about it. And I think it was good that I didn't know anything about it. So I won't spoil it in case anyone is seeing it. Uh, but it's a, a play about a relationship. Oh, which is also on topic for today. It's almost like we planned it. Um, and it's a, a really short play. It's like 70 minutes, no interval. And the one of the things that had attracted me to it was that there are four different couples playing the parts on rotation. And one of the couples is a male couple, uh, Russell Tovey. And, oh, here's Oliver. Saved by the Bell, because I'd suddenly forgotten Amari's surname. So I'm going to look it up. Omari Douglas. Let's see if Oliver comes in. I'll keep going until he does. Uh, so yes, uh, so the couple swap around and uh, the one that we saw last night was a couple played by Russell T. Not Russell T. Davies. He wrote Doctor Who, Russell Tovey and Amari Douglas. And so we're seeing the play that, that in other performances is performed by a straight couple, watching it performed by two men. And so that was incredible. But the, the play itself is also kind of based on, like, I don't want to give too much away, but based on principles of choices and that the choices you make in the moment can determine everything that happens from then on. So it's kind of based on this almost like multiple universe theory. Mm. And it was just incredible. They were so good together, so brilliant together. And, you know, there was a bit of me that was watching this going, oh, I wonder how it would have looked to see that scene performed by a man and a woman and how fantastic it was that we were just watching two men in that exact same role. And there was no kind of song and dance about it you know there, it wasn't a big deal it was just playing exactly the same characters but it was two men so that so, was brilliant does, so does that rotate every evening so you will you don't see this all of them in one show no you only get to see one couple oh wow but That's they're playing the same parts um and I think there's yeah there's four different couples and one couple who's like an older couple uh obviously two guys so you know it's it's about 
how you can see the same relationship through those different lenses. That's super, <clears throat> that I need to go and see that because it's very um yeah of of uh how similar we are all despite the different bodies we're in. I'm yeah. that and that's I'm gonna go book that now. <laughs> oh, it was really beautiful. And if you go on to Day Ticks, and not that they're a sponsor, I think you can get the tickets quite cheaply. Day Ticks, if you're listening. <laughs> Oliver, hello. Good morning. Oh, we can hey. hear you. It's Damn been a morning. Technical issues, but I'm so glad that you're with us. How are you doing? Good. The dog had. When you wake up to your dog dry heaving, that is always a bad morning. No. But he's fine now. He seems to be fine now. What was the problem? I have no idea, but it seems <laughs> to have resolved itself. <laughs> Bless him. Well, like, it's so worrying because they can't tell you what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. It was coming out of both ends this morning. So I think he's good now. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> <laughs> and poor you for having to go through that. That's not the kind of thing you need first thing on a Saturday morning because it's really well, early for you as well, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it started at like four this morning. <sighs> so yeah but he's good now bless him and he's eating that's oh. always a good thing yeah good so who know what he ate um, yeah. do you think it could be something that he just like found and kind of snuffled around yeah i mean there are always lizards around during the summer so he could mm. have like gobbled up a lizard or something who knows <laughs> i really want to make that the episode title gobbling up a lizard <laughs> That can mean a lot of different things. Exactly. <laughs> and wait till you see what's going to come next. Um, <laughs> so before we dive into it, how are you? What's been making you hopeful lately? Um, oh, so I have a new prospect coming up. Um, there is a guy that reached out to me to do the voiceover for virtual reality meditation. Wow. And it would be for um, uh, kids, essentially, like kids that have cancer and um, just long-term chronic issues. The, mm. the virtual reality experience would be for them. So that is really hopeful because I'd never, I'm not techie at all. I just want to turn a computer on and it works. <laughs> <laughs> but it's completely different to, you know, work with somebody through that. And I just, I'm really hopeful about it because... Um, this is a different experience for me. I'm, I'm usually not into kids, <laughs> not a kid person, but this seems really, I'm really open to the possibilities with it. You know, how did that come about? Like how did, did someone, um, tune into one of your meditations and then go, we need that voice in people's ears. Yeah. He found me on YouTube and he says that he's been listening to them my meditations on YouTube and I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, you, so you never know what, who's listening and, and all of that. So yeah, it's, it's exciting. So That's so cool. And what a gift, especially yeah. if someone's going through something really difficult or traumatic or painful to have you in their ears, I think would be a massive help. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited about it. Nervous, but excited. <laughs> well, welcome I'm really glad you're here and I'm glad I'm glad the pup is doing well um we've just been checking in and talking about what's been making us hopeful Matthew did at the beginning 
throw in a little hint about going out and dating. So we're going to hold on to oh, that. Okay. I haven't forgotten. Yeah, we're coming back to it. Um, but we do have a question for our um, amazing What Would Buddha Do section. And this one's a cracker. Uh, this comes from Alexander, who's a long-time listener, first-time writer. And so, yeah, just, I mean, I know that we've got an explicit warning on the podcast, but just in case you're listening to this in the car with kids, it might be a chance to say to them, this is going to be a good one. Um, so Alexander says, can no string sex ever be totally free from strings? And if so, should I take that offer of a one-off fantasy fuck? And then there's a kind of a follow-up which says, even if the other person is straight and married, what would Buddha do? So Nick, would Buddha fuck a married straight man? <laughs> well, <laughs> it's quite easy to answer that, which is no. <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> But that's because he wouldn't have sex with anyone. Oh, why not? Well, the the Buddha was celibate, and 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 all of his monastic order was also celibate. Oh, okay. I mean, I don't know why I'm surprised by that because you've mentioned celibacy in the monastery, but I don't. I suppose I just thought the Buddha was just doing it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, is that bad? Have I just offended the whole like, <laughs> population of people? You're, Sorry, Buddha. You're going to get a, a Buddhist fatwa sort of descend upon you. Um, so there are different ways to answer this. So if you are asking the Buddha, um, this was actually the thing that brought me into Buddhism, was going to a talk on sexuality and, and, and the Buddhist attitude towards homosexuality. And there's two aspects to it. The, the, the first is that um, the Buddha never actually made sex itself wrong. He didn't tell his followers they weren't to have sex or that any particular form of sex was immoral. Um, however, he did have a precept around sex, which was to abstain from sexual misconduct. Oh, and sexual misconduct was anything that would cause harm to another by, by pursuing your sexual desire. Uh, and he made that more specifically around adultery or incest or rape. Um, uh, so I suppose his, his response would be, well, is that married person in a in an open relationship? Uh, and if you were to have sex with that married person and the other person in the relationship were to find out, what impact would that have on the other person? Um, and would it cause them sort of distress? So, you know, that, that would be one one way of approaching it. Um, I suppose the question would be, you know, this person who's in the married relationship, you know, what is actually going on for them? You know, are they needing to discover an aspect of themselves that they haven't experienced yet? Um, are they waking up to something? And this is part of a, a process of learning about themselves. Um, 
I know from having worked as a as a uh, sort of tantric and sensual masa for some time, and this isn't the Buddha responding. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see that advert. <laughs> um, I think the dilemma we have in our culture is that uh, we've created a, a duality between straight and gay. And then mm. we have maybe a, a minority stress area of, of people who are bisexual, who are being told that they're really gay and they should just work out that that's what they are. Whereas, you know, if you look at the Kinsey scale, you know, um, there's actually a relatively small number of people who are maybe at the extreme ends of being exclusively gay and exclusively uh, heterosexual. And then there's this whole gray area. Um, but we don't live in a culture where people are able to explore the, the grayness of their sexuality. You know, we're being told to define ourselves as being straight or gay or, you know, whatever else um the society is telling us is, is is acceptable so you um it means there can be a lot of guilt around the person who is in a straight relationship but then they also have these these sort of gay uh or they have desires for people of the same sex and we don't live in a culture where that can then be so easily discussed. You know, for gay men, we're quite familiar with the idea of an open relationship or starting to talk with our partner and saying, look, you know, I love you and I want to spend my life with you, but actually it doesn't work for me to just have sex with one person. Can we explore, you know, how this is going to work? Um, so the issue is, you know, if you're having sex with this straight guy you know yeah that might be very exciting and it might fulfill a fantasy and for him it might be that he's needing to explore and experience an aspect of him but you know will it be helping him to come out of shame or will he you know just sort of bury that or feel that you know this is a shameful thing on some level that he's doing and he just has this guilty secret um, that then somehow impacts on how he's relating to his his partner. Um, so I think the Buddha would, you know, have a conversation around that. And, and, you know, when it happens to me, then I have my sort of inner Buddha in my head, which is sort of like bringing all of that side. And there's a side that's going like, wow, that's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, yeah, not now, Buddha. And like, not now, Buddha. Give <laughs> <laughs> me our new T-shirt. <laughs> Um, but I do, I do have all of that there and I mean, it's not that often that I've met, but you know, what would happen with when I was working as a masseur is that I'd have people who'd come along who were then referring to being in a straight relationship, but, and feeling a bit conflicted once they'd experienced, say, a, a sensual massage and then sort of saying like, um, and it was really interesting because actually it started me on that process of, 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 of massage also needing to include a therapeutic element in that, you know, often people need to talk through what's going on for them because there's a sexual urge which draws you to something. Um, but then once you're satisfied, there can very quickly sort of then be uh, all of the shame and all of the guilt coming up. Um, and I've even got 
friends who've talked about you know having sex with someone who's straight and they're saying you know the moment they've come then all the anger comes and and the anger it gets directed at you so there's there's also a certain risk if it's more of just like picking someone up on the street or something and they they sort of like as soon as the lustful urge is over and and that is spent it's like you know i've got people described how they've then been quite threatened by someone sort of suddenly becoming really angry and and uh turning that aggression against them so are we what i'm hearing is buddha would say uh uh no don't do it yes what would you say well that that's where I think you have to know the the, the person and uh, the circumstances and um, you know it's hard to separate off sort of wisdom from lust so <laughs> but you know you might see if, if it's a person you really if you know the context and the situation you know maybe maybe that sort of helps their relationship to continue because the person has an outlet for this other experience um uh i tend to be quite sort of 18th century in my perspective on sex which is quite sort of libertarian <laughs> sort of like <laughs> anything goes really um as long as people aren't being hurt so the question would be it's like you know if you know their partner or if you know you know what I, I've, not, I've not been in a situation where I've been having sex with someone that I know is married or, or is in a, in a relationship. Maybe if they're, if they're someone who's still exploring and they're still almost like sort of like trying to decide, do I settle with this person or do I, do I go somewhere else? That feels as if they're not quite in a settled place yet. But if, if I knew someone who was married, I think I would need to have that conversation with them and sort of say, you know, yeah, I feel uh, this would be really exciting. I really like the idea, but it's it's like, you know, how is this going to impact on your wife if, you know, if at some point she finds out or, you know, what's what's stopping you from having a conversation and sort of saying, you know, actually, I feel I'm bisexual and I need to explore this. Because the thing is, you know, the thing with sexual misconduct is at the moment that things are consensual, then there's no misconduct. So, you know, it's the same as if you're, meeting your sort of old boyfriend he's now in a new relationship and he wants to have a fling you know on the side without his boyfriend knowing I suppose the thing I come back to and a friend of mine once talked about this which it sort of made a lot of sense and he's saying you know he's seen friends be really destroyed when they feel they've got trust in a partner and they've built that whole sense of understanding what this relationship is based on that understanding of trust and in a sense sort of like surrendering into the relationship believing in in in, in the other person being there for them and then they found that there's this whole alternative reality to how the person's been behaving and that's actually made it very hard for them to then even go on into another relationship because when someone has been appearing to give the same assurances, they've got that trauma from the, the experience of feeling they were um, sort of betrayed or let down or lied to. So I find it really difficult because, you know, the, the, this is why the Buddha encouraged celibacy because the sexual urge is so <laughs> it's strong. It's just easier. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's just in a sense it is easier you know the sexual urge will make us do all sorts of things that at the time we can justify or feel is 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 okay and yet you know karma um doesn't um karma doesn't sort of take sides really it just it just responds to you know does this cause harm uh has it has it has it caused another being to to suffer and you can bring all sorts of clever intellectual arguments to to why you might be able to do something but you know in a way the buddha was always saying well it's it's in your own interest you know if you if you break the laws of karma then um you know the cosmic fist is going to come back and thump you <laughs> <laughs> I will, I will not comment on that one for now. <clears throat> um, it is, I don't know where this came from. I don't even know if it's a real thing. It's just one of those um, things that I've heard going around. But there was that phrase, a standing prick has no conscience. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, there's nothing. In that moment, morality goes out the window. <laughs> and Matthew, it reminds me of your... When you're talking about the connectedness of the garden and everything affecting everyone, you know, I think it's really interesting when we then bring in, actually, yeah, there might be consent between these two people, but there's not a consent from that person's wife. And I don't know, Matthew, what would you do? Or what would you advise? Let's go with what we, <laughs> what would you advise and then what would you do? <laughs> um, yeah, I'd advise to not do that because, yeah, I just think morally the repercussions of that are not going to be good and it's like a bad energy that you'll be putting out whether you intend to or not like that's going to affect other people and they will always find out um I believe things like secret um affairs and stuff are always going to come back round um so doing the moral thing and not being a liar or a cheater is um advisable and I wouldn't do that I hate I hate cheaters and liars and people who are not being their authentic self so I would not this is it's even in the it's in writing it's a one-off a one-off fantasy fuck would you deny someone that one-off <laughs> yeah <laughs> I think there are other ways to fulfill fantasies that aren't gonna um morally bankrupt you I think you can still be um exploring the myriads of the world without um yeah screwing people over and hurting other people I don't think that's necessary I think it's quite selfish to pursue things without thinking about consequences on other people but you Oliver um I feel the same um, oh, I, I, I feel like I've, such a devil now because I was going to say do it anyway. Go on, well, carry on. <laughs> well, there was when you said one off. I'm like, oh, that's mm, that the wife definitely doesn't know. I think if it were me, I'd have been. I would have asked point blank, "Does your wife know?" Mm -hmm. Like, and if she doesn't, I'm like, we're gonna have a little sit down. We're gonna have like a little, you know, kitchen table chat before everything goes down. Um. Because like uh, Nick was saying, I think um, there's a choice in the whole thing. And I, I don't think the wife's choice is being um, considered here. And I think that piece is very important. Mm -hmm. 
so yeah i i wouldn't so i'm i'm gonna also say advise not to but maybe for different reasons and also i have been in this situation this question doesn't come from me by the way um and and i was a lot younger and i so i what was i must have been about 24 24 25 and was at a conference for work, which is just like a hotbed. You know, every conference is, just, you know, a hotel is just a, a building full of bedrooms. And I remember being up quite late in the bar with a bunch of people and this guy kind of being very, very flirty. But I remember thinking, I'm sure you're straight. I'm sure you're married. And they were closing the bar and he said, oh, I've got a bottle of wine in my room if you want to come back. And I just thought, yeah, fine. <laughs> But I think it was partly, you know, being a lot younger, not really thinking about the consequences, being a little bit drunk, and also being in that mindset of going, oh, this is like a double bonus. You know, this is a married, straight, ma you know, this is like top points. And I, I actually was okay with it until the moment in the morning when he was in the bath and he phoned his wife. And I remember thinking, oh, that's nasty. <laughs> now, I don't know why that's the thing I have a problem with, because he could have told her a lot of more stuff. But I remember thinking, why would you do that right now? And it, I, and I didn't ask him, because part of me was like, oh, this is fine, I'll never see you again. We're at a conference. Um, but I remember thinking, is this some kind of display of power? Is it like, oh, I can cheat on my wife, and I can have you here while I talk to my wife. You know, it almost made me think, oh, I just felt really sorry for him. I felt sorry for her as well. Um, and then I saw him again the next year at the same conference, and he was, like, scratching at my door, and I thought, no, I'm not doing it. And he phoned me, like, in the middle of the night, and I was like, no, fuck off. Because I thought, no, that one-off was a one-off. And if you're doing it again a year later, this is deliberate, and I'm not in that space. So yeah, interesting. But I think there was also something that, and again, I don't know what for us as, as gay men, as queer people, that almost like the allure of the straight man, like that's something to covet, or like straight men are kind of, there's something more about them. Mm. I think that's, I'm just going to quickly jump in because that's really um, sparked something I think one of the main reasons I don't find that attractive anymore is because it's because they're not being authentic to themselves if they're going and lying to to other people to get what they want then that is really unattractive to me and people who are just able to be open as they are show up um, and not have any shame or like secrets about that is so much more attractive to me so that whole straight man fantasy really doesn't yeah, it doesn't appeal to me anymore. It, it did in years gone by, but I think that's the main reason why it's they're not being themselves. What's, I mean, I know that this is a massive generalization, but do you think in that space, it goes back to what Nick was saying earlier about that spectrum of sexuality. I, I, mean, I often think, is it just that actually they're not, there's no such thing as straight or, you know, they're not 100% straight. They're mm. just, they just bought into a narrative mm -hmm. and yeah, they might be in love with their wife. They might have sex with their wife, 
but actually they can also find men attractive and it doesn't even mean they're bisexual. Mm-hmm. And interesting mm-hmm. that I've even confused sex and love in that. Oh, they love their wife, but they have sex with men. You know, it's it's all just so complicated because we're told so many stories as we grow up about what's right and wrong. Mm. I don't know. Any any other? I was going to say any, anyone else had sex with a straight man. That's, <laughs> that's not what this podcast is about. But I think it's interesting that there is that almost like a subculture in that queer space of you know these straight men who dip in and out, mm. so to speak. Yeah, and it's, I think it's recognising that there is that uh, blurred space where you can have sexual relations with someone and not need, want to label yourself as this or that. Um, and yeah, I guess that whole no strings attached thing question earlier kind of relates to this. Like sex can just be sex. It doesn't necessarily need to be about romance and um making love it can just be like a raw animalistic energy thing i mean yeah but it, it yeah people buy into the whole narratives of you're this you're that i can't have sex with that person because that means i'm this so mm. it's something we i think it needs to be there's so much that needs to be unpicked and yeah. explored there yeah, I think that word unpicked is and explored is really important. And, um, you know, in a way, it's sort of there's a risk of perpetuating that that cultural tendency to allow this to all sort of remain hidden. And um, now I haven't actually met him yet, but your, your question reminded me that someone did send me a message a while back on my Instagram sort of uh and he was saying like oh you know me and my girlfriend think you're really hot <laughs> and he was basically wanting to see if on I was... instagram yes oh, we're right the shame. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where all the kids are meeting these days for <laughs> i'm so out of the loop <laughs> yeah uh so well he'd already sent me a message via facebook messenger but i i barely used that so um, <laughs> he's persistent so as well he followed up with this and yeah basically he was wanting to sort of he's like you know here's my girlfriend and you know here's what she looks like and you know here's me you know do you fancy a threesome um because mm-hmm. uh, we we both really you know find you attractive um and it was it was really refreshing that obviously you know they have a relationship where they can can do that and he said he'd met a a few other gay guys that had sort of rocked up and they'd sort of had these three ways um i i was basically just being very upfront with him that it's like well thanks i think you're really hot but i don't feel anything whatsoever for for your partner so if she's cool with it and you're you want to meet singly well then that would be great but um uh i wouldn't meet for for a threesome um what if she was just watching <laughs> well i think she was she i think <laughs> that, that was one question of, to i think that was one of the options <laughs> uh he was initially saying about the three of us meeting and then just one if she if she knew me and she felt quite sort of chilled with me then then it would probably be okay for the two of us to just sort of uh, spend some time together uh, independently um, so but you know then covid and everything was happening so 
Um, but I'll probably be chatting to him again and seeing if that is an option. But you see, that was all open because it's like, you know, he yeah. and his partner had both been looking at my Instagram posts and um, I was doing a hundred day challenge at that point, which was doing a hundred press ups a day. So I had a few videos of me doing that and they'd obviously both been like, would you, would you like, yeah, I would, would you? Yeah. Okay. Let's message him. Like honey and to the bees. You yeah. can check Nick's Instagram in our show notes. Bees in the trap. Bees in the trap. <laughs> but I think, I mean, I think the challenge is, it's like for a lot of men, it's like, you know, the internalized homophobia is that if they were to reveal to their female partner that they're attracted to men, does that mean that they're less of a man? Mm. So that's why it's probably quite a challenging conversation. And then it's even a more challenging conversation if you're saying, you know, well, I, you know, I have a part of myself that really wants to have sex with men. Mm. And um, I mean, it's, it's, it's a challenging one, but it's sort of like maybe if you go through that, rather than spending your life having sexual encounters that leave you feeling a bit of shame because, you know, you have to lie about what you're doing or where you've been or um, when you're going to be back, you know, then you actually own that part of yourself and um have a conversation with with a partner and, and reveal you know if a relationship is about being your authentic self with your partner well then you reveal well actually there's a part of me that you know just um really enjoys the the, the touch of a man and this isn't anything that's wrong with you it's just you know you're not a man so it's like i can never have that mm -hmm. with you yeah, a friend of mine um, went through a really difficult situation when her husband came out um but there was also a moment where she kind of went but I, I can't compete with anything and I and I think it, for me it revealed so much I felt well, I felt very sorry for her that she was going through some pain and I felt sorry for him that he was in that situation in the first place and I felt sorry for all young girls and women who are brought up with that myth of you will find the one the one man who will rescue you from everything mm -hmm. and will never look at anyone again and you are his princess and just how toxic that narrative is you know we talk a lot about toxic masculinity but those toxic expectations that are often pushed onto women mm. you know your wedding day is the happiest day of your life it's like well what happens after that you're just miserable for the rest of it mm -hmm. it just feels so cruel that we've we've colluded in this society about even you know matthew as you said earlier about making love i remember when i was a kid and listening to Whitney Houston <laughs> saving on my love for you and when she's in the is in the chorus when she says like we'll be making love the whole night through and I suddenly went oh, she means fucking <laughs> but that wouldn't be on a number one single we'll be fucking all night it would be Cardi B <laughs> <laughs> yeah it would be nice but just how much we conflate and confuse sex and love that they are the same thing mm. and how weird that is but totally understandable because we've, we have sex education at school, but we don't have love education. Mm. No one tells us how to do this, especially as queer people. Like where did you, do you was there a, a thing, a book or a film or a, something that you saw when you were younger that informed your beliefs about queer love? Um, well, I didn't really have any of that. Um, so it was something that I had to go through life experiencing. 
But what I found was, like Matthew said before, there's um, there are encounters that are very animalistic and um, in nature, and there are times when there is um, love making and all that. But I find that I can't. It's hard for me to do the raw. Um, animalistic sexual thing. I can't do that anymore. It's like a, a, a switch flipped. And now I can't have a sexual experience without some kind of emotional connection. But that was something that I had to experience on my own because there was a time where, you know, I was just letting my like whole flag, like I was just letting it wave in the, in the wind, you know, and <laughs> I really enjoyed it. But what, but what I, I haven't found, seen the whole flag. What did it look like? Um, I mean, it's it's whatever it is. I mean, it's your colors. I mean, it's whatever. <laughs> it's paint. It's a paint by number flag. Paint it however you want. But Create a um, listener competition. Send us your whole flag. We'll choose a winner, and we'll all have sex with you. <laughs> but I find, but I find that when I was when I had my whole my whole phase, there was a lot of shame with it, and there was a lot of. Um, I would, there was just a lot of yearning for more after that. And I just couldn't do that to myself anymore, just wanting more and just knowing that because there were no strings attached, that there wasn't anything that would come from it. So I couldn't do that to myself emotionally anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as, I don't know, maybe porn <laughs> was like... <laughs> Like they like back in the day, they had these those soft core, soft core porn um, that I was that I was kind of into and kind of um, developed this fantasy of making love to a man and all that. So that might have done it for me, but I don't know. Speak about it with such reverence. <laughs> Sounds like a real, I don't know, like a something really beautiful that you then held and even though you went through your whole I was going to say your whole years it might have been your whole days I oh, don't know yes. years let's go with years um and then, <laughs> and then you went actually no there's something else and yeah I'm really struck by that that you've you've come to a place where you're going yeah this is what I need now yeah it, it just got old it just got old and um I think at one point it probably got to where it was an addiction because it was, it's like, oh, okay. Well, we didn't have grinder or anything back then, but you know, there was like the whole chase and everything. But it's just, it was just exhausting. It was exhausting, mm-hmm. and I just had no energy for it. Maybe I'm just getting old. I just gotten old. I'm like, I don't feel like doing the grinder and the tenders just the world, especially after nine o'clock yeah it's like no i've got to get ready for bed now it's a deal breaker once i have my pajamas on it's it's a wrap (laughs) thank you and good night (laughs) you two when did you first see something that informed your take on love your take on sex what was it I think for me, some of the first um, like representations in TV was probably Hollyoaks and Skins. 
um, both of which I remember not being particularly like positive representations since um, JP, uh, what was he called? Jean-Paul and, I can't remember his name, but he, basically he was dating a straight man talking of- um, Oh, wow, okay. Straight man fantasy. Um, so it was all covert, it was all very secretive. And then when it all came out that they'd been sleeping together, it was like, shame and then he left town and it was all very tumultuous so I mean that was one of the first um things I remember seeing on tv when I was about 14 15 um I don't know yeah there wasn't there wasn't a great deal in in teenage years and yeah I remember like sex ed was always about heterosexual sex not getting pregnant I literally that's the only thing that we got taught it wasn't it was about how to put a condom on a banana and how to not get pregnant there was nothing about it there was nothing about um STIs there was nothing about gay sex there was nothing about relationships or like consent it was it's honestly wild when when you think about how many school kids have gone and probably I think it's better now to be fair but have gone through that whole period of like development and then not known what the hell was going on and like often being taken advantage of or like getting into situations where they're not comfortable with or like just yeah there needs to be a lot more education on all of those things so you're not just I mean the representation in tv and film and everything now is much better and much more um educational like sex education mm-hmm. on Netflix um really giving you <laughs> the ins and outs mm-hmm. um yeah back when I was growing up there wasn't a huge deal how about you Nick what do you remember in terms of like uh, starting to explore gay sexuality, it was like my 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 main introduction or experience was um, the Little Woods catalogue, <laughs> <laughs> underwear section. I remember it fondly. <laughs> and so there was just that sort of sense of like I don't quite know why I'm thumbing through, showing so much interest in the uh, Y fronts, but sort of, this is quite enjoyable. Yeah. Um, uh, literally at school, yes. I mean, there was, there was nothing. And it, it was also the era in the 80s, it was the era of, um, what was it, Section 28? Mm. Or, um, so the teachers couldn't even say the word gay. Um, uh, so it was a very and and there wasn't the internet so there wasn't any way of of connecting and seeing anything um so i remember the first one of the first things i probably saw was when i was about 15 or so and there was a a dramatization of oscar wilde's life uh, and he was in bed with uh someone that he just hooked up with uh and um yeah it was it was it was the first time i think i'd actually seen a a scene a sexual scene between men um and i remember my stepfather we were watching it in our bedrooms i had we had televisions in both our bedrooms and my stepfather called through and sort of slightly jokingly but sort of saying like cover your eyes nicholas (laughs) (laughs) 
and it's funny because the next day they sort of said did you cover your eyes and said uh covered the cat's eyes (laughs) (laughs) protect the cat (laughs) protect the cat but no i was actually like watching that and thinking like wow does that happen and I think it was like one of the first times I'd, I'd actually sort of realised, you know, men actually do things together. It's like um, that is actually a thing and, and just um, feeling really excited by that. Um, and then there were a few other films uh, like Brideshead Revisited. There was that sort of series and Morris. Uh, so, so there was sort of starting to be that sort of sense of, of, of romance and and sex between men um but i think by the time i was tr- 19 and i did meet someone i really did have that feeling it's like i've got to just meet my one and only um and i remember meeting someone and then we broke up a few months later and i was literally thought to myself well that's it really now i sort of met my one and only so if if he was my my um sort of soulmate well it didn't really turn out to be much did it (laughs) or maybe it means there isn't such a thing as a soulmate because I was convinced once I'd met him that he was the one Mm. and so then it made me think well maybe there isn't a one and I think it then shifted over into like well there isn't a one is there so you might as well just enjoy whoever you meet and not sort of look for that life partner um so I think having that lack of really being educated into even the distinction between sex and love, um, you know, then then we really sort of lack maybe a, an inner language about, you know, mm-hmm. what's going on. And I don't know, I mean, obviously I'm not straight, so I don't know if it's easier for straight people, but I think it's really interesting just even hearing the three of you talk about your, your formative um, kind of exposure to things, you know, so the examples we've had is softcore porn, the Littlewoods catalogue and Hollyoaks. And, you know, I remember for me, there was a thing when I was at school, there was a thing that came out like a TV programme called The Two of Us. And it was, I think it was banned. I'm fairly sure it was banned, but I can remember watching it on TV one lunchtime. So I don't know why I would have seen it. I'm sure it was banned because it was during the time of Section 28. I remember really clearly there was this scene, so it's about this, uh, at school, this teenage um, guy who has a girlfriend, but he starts to look at this other guy in the showers. I remember very clearly the other guy kind of showering after swimming with speedos on, and they're all kind of like eyeing each other up. And so they end up having a thing together and like running away. I'm sure it's got a sad ending. I'm sure either one of them dies or something. Spoilers. Um. I must have been at the time, so when that came out, around about late 80s, so I was probably like 14, 15. And and there was something about seeing that and just seeing, you know, two guys kissing or holding hands, and especially, you know, portrayed as the kind of similar age. But it did have a bad ending, and it was all about homophobia. I'm sure one of the characters, like, got beaten up halfway through, something like that. And then at the time, there was... EastEnders in the UK, you know, the soap opera there was the first gay male kiss on TV and then the outrage the next day in the media ban this filth. And so I think I, even though I, there were very few um, examples, even the little glimmer of that was always shrouded with either one of them dies, they get beaten up or everyone's outraged. Mm. And so there wasn't really that sense of 
this is okay and this this will end well and I guess for straight people there are lots of stories where things don't end well but there are also lots of stories where things do end well and they have the the richness of everything of good stories bad stories horror stories comedies all of that whereas we have these kind of crumbs Mm -hmm. that we have to pick through and then try and piece it together for ourselves I actually did a blog recently um, listing gay-themed films that have a, a happy ending. Oh, wow. Was that a short list? It was a short list. Mm. Okay. What was the happiest one? Oh, um, uh, actually, there was one, the one that someone recommended to me, which was, um, oh, what was it? Shiny Shrimps. Oh, I've never heard of that. Oh, which is a really great one because it's like it, it does explore some of these more difficult elements of what can go on, but it is just a total celebration. Mm. Um, and it, it's, a, it's also a total celebration of gay community and, and how we support and nurture each other, even though there are some challenging things within it. It's actually you, you get to the last scene of the film and you just feel so good. Um, I think Matthew, you've you know it. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's it's about a, a water polo team. Um, oh wow! They go to the gay games in somewhere in Europe. I can't remember where, but they travel there on a bus, and it's very. <laughs> I'm going to add that to my list. Really? And I think it's, it's, it's if you said to straight people, name every film with a happy ending. Of course, they couldn't because there's too many. I think it's really interesting that we could probably name them. Mm. And also, I don't, it's not that I want everyone to have a happy ending because that's not real, but it's having the option and and also to have the space to tell stories where people are horrible and interesting and dark or funny. You know, we we often just get that one character. And everything kind of lands on their shoulders, but it's it's just having choice. I don't mind if gay characters are portrayed as evil or they get killed off, as long as there's an equal amount of them who are brilliant mm-hmm. and survive. It just feels like we often have to take what we're given and then kind of go, oh, well, <laughs> better luck next time. I think um, Matthew Todd talked about that in his book, Straight Jacket, about the representation that we've all been brought up until like from from my generation and upwards um that that even even if this the representation was there the stories didn't have happy endings so getting to a stage in adulthood and not feeling like fulfilled and stuff maybe perhaps because of not having those like examples of a of a fulfilled gay life and i think this, this goes back to one of the episodes we talked about uh many many weeks ago about um gay future and like I remember for a long time not knowing what that meant because I hadn't seen it represented and talked about so it is about creating our own narratives and you have to like it it is harder when you when you don't have things obviously presented as as options you have to really like go and find yourself and I think it's why a lot of people queer people do you find a spiritual path or find want to find some more meaning is because it's not just laid out for you this is your path and follow it it's you have to go and find it and it's um 
it's a journey which I'm liking being on. Yeah. When I was um, looking in some of the books on my shelf, when I thought we might end up talking about relationships and stuff, Straight Jacket was one of them that I looked at. And I also looked at um, Will Young's book, To Be a Gay Man and uh, Good As You is another one. There was no mention of love in Good As You. And in Will Young's book and in Straight Jacket, it was only mentioned in the context of love addiction, which I thought was interesting that even in these books, which are about gay life, it's kind of still seen as something that can be pathologized. Mm-hmm. And the the thing I, so then I got obsessive and started looking for positive quotes. <laughs> the only one I found from a queer writer, and maybe I just didn't look hard enough, uh, was Armistead Maupin. And he, in his autobiography, he wrote this fantastic um, sentence where he said, my youth was full of the slow decay of cherished myths about politics and race and love itself until nothing was left but compost from which something authentic could finally begin to grow. And I, I mean, I love his work anyway, but I love the sense of actually all of the things that you grow up believing just kind of condense into soil. And out of that, there's the authenticity. It's like you were talking earlier about not being attracted to straight men because they're not authentic. That, that image is so gorgeous, actually, especially with all the gardening I'm doing at the moment, the composting, mm. the, the, life new life that comes forth that's really nice so before we go into meditation you need to spill some tea me yeah <laughs> yeah we've been holding on to it but you talked about dating and you, you can't just not say something on a show where we're talking about sex and relationships <laughs> it was so evil uh-huh yeah um yeah i've i've had some dates which have been very nice meeting some lovely people manifesting good energies that's all i will say on the matter <laughs> Well, no, it's not. <laughs> what are you like on a date? Like, how how do you show up? Um, as I am here, and yeah, I bring all parts of myself. If you like it, you like it. If you don't, no well. <laughs> What's a good date for you? Like, what what if you were to say, "Oh, that was really lovely." Like, what are some of the qualities of it or the characteristics of it? Um. I think when the conversation just flows and you're not thinking about the next thing to say, it just flows and you just feel like present. If someone's present, not checking their phone. um, Yeah, if they've got nice eyes and you just like get lost in that little bubble of moment, that's a successful date for me. Look at your little face. You're all glowy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oliver, from someone in a happy committed relationship what advice would you give to our little matty going out on the dating scene again oh um i think what i've learned not only from this relationship but from others is that people are going to evolve they're going to change and um you have to be willing to let them find that for themselves and to allow your partner to expand and to come to terms with things in their life and to experience traumas. And that would, that might mean that the, the dynamic in your relationship might change and that's okay. But um, I think allowing people to, um, 
completely be themselves, even when it's not comfortable for you, is what I would, is the advice that I would give. And it's all, and again, it's all about peace for me. It's like, how can I be at peace? And how can I let my expectation of what the relationship would look like or should look like or whatever, how can I let that go to allow my partner to experience peace? Wow. Nick, what's the advice on dating you would give to Matthew that you also need to hear for yourself? I, I'm in therapy because I've got absolutely no idea how to <laughs> date or be in a relationship. So, um, uh, so no, this is this is an area I don't feel I can give any advice because I'm I'm sort of really confused uh, around it myself. Um, you know, there's a reason I was celibate for, for 12 years from, from the age of sort of 21 until about 34. Um, and I think that's, you know, just all the wounding and the hurt around sex and uh, the idea of relationship or um, it was just like this sort of, like Matthew is in a much healthier place at his age than I was. Because, you know, I was just in a state of, of wanting to use a spiritual I suppose my advice would be to people is just just be aware you know are you genuinely engaged in a spiritual practice if you are practicing any form of abstinence or uh, withdrawal from sexuality or is that a manifestation of an internalized homophobia or fear uh, that is being dressed up as a positive sort of spiritual uh, experience because from when I then did start having sex at 35, I just realized I was terrified. You know, my body would clamp down. I would either have like premature ejaculation as a way of the body getting the energy out too quickly because it couldn't cope with it. Um, or I would shut down and not be able to come at all. Uh, or, or my cock wouldn't get hard. And it was sort of like which on my own, none of those things were issues. But the moment I started to come into connection with another, there was just these overwhelming waves of, of fear. Um, and then we, we live in such a sexualized bubble where it's like we're told, you know, as a gay man, you have to be like this and you have to sort of, you know, get rock hard in 30 seconds. And, you know, you have to be able to be this amazing bottom, this amazing top, you have to perform, you know. And so our focus can even be very much around the, the sex part rather than the relating part, rather than sex being an expression of relationship. It's like, you know, you are just this sexual being that has to perform or uh, be ready to pounce into action. Um, I remember a therapist friend of mine sort of saying, you know, what he observes with some of his clients is that they they really struggle with the feeling that they're not having lots of wild sex and being promiscuous and and then it's like his work with them is helping them to realize that actually maybe that's just not who they are <laughs> and that that's okay mm. um and that if that is who they are well again that's okay they but they explore it in a in a healthy way that doesn't bring about you know emotional harm so it's just, it's about being conscious and really feeling into, you know, uh, 
is this moving me closer towards feeling more fulfilled and happy and authentic or in this moment of dating am i like you know it sounds as if matthew just shows up as he is but maybe for some people there's this tendency to feel who do i have to show myself to be um how how do i be accepted by this other person and you know the intersection between spiritual practice and and dating and relationship is like you know to be completely content and at ease in who you are and to show that to the other person and if they reject that well that's nothing to do with you that's that's them so matthew if nick turned up to ella varides academy for disgraceful young ladies what do you think drag would do in terms of nick's confidence ability to be present with someone do you think that nick could be a good student in drag academy a good drag daughter of mine <clears throat> yeah absolutely i think i think the the very first thing that happens when you catch yourself in the mirror in drag for the first time is just seeing your self in a completely different light and also the way that other people treat you is is the real um interesting thing because you're like oh people don't normally like look at me like that or they don't say those kind of things to me in normal life so then you're like oh maybe I can be different maybe like maybe the way in which I interact in the world and the way people interact with me can be anything based on how I present myself or the way I hold myself or the way I am it's all it's all relative to how you're feeling inside it's the external thing is just an illusion um so yeah I think that's what could and will we will get you into drag at some point Nick I'll make sure of it I I can notice that slight tremor of fear so I know it's actually <laughs> quite a good, good, it means it's something I'm going to do yeah absolutely I'd love to and we'll podcast it live <laughs> no we won't but you know it's an incredibly personal thing but also I think yeah there there comes a time when I just think there's something really exciting about testing out different ways of being in the world if the things that we've tried in the past are not working for us in the present then you have to go yeah let's just throw away the rules mm. so yeah maybe we do a, a hope cast host dragathon I'd like to um I like to explore intimacy too. Mm. Like, does it just have to be sex or not? Like, why can't we just like have a little cuddle with somebody mm. and be vulnerable? Um, I think I had a hard time with that when I was um, having relationships and having sexual experiences. There was a part of me that wanted to be intimate and some, some part of me that just wanted to cuddle and just talk and just be. And um it's my hope for those people that are looking to get in relationships or whatever to, to do that first, because I think it makes the sex all that more great. And for me, I think the answer is in your question, Oliver, you said, why can't we just have a cuddle and be vulnerable? Mm -hmm. Because I don't think people like being vulnerable. Mm -hmm. I know I don't. And so I wonder if there's something there about the vulnerability that comes with that kind of intimacy where there's no sex involved whatsoever but you open yourself up to someone and you literally let them stroke your soft underbelly, that that's really vulnerable compared to what could even be an anonymous, you know, quick 
shag in an alleyway I don't know why this is coming to mind but you know with someone that you don't even know there's no vulnerability in that there might be a safety issue but Mm. there's no emotional vulnerability and you know getting fingered behind KFC so there's I think that again we're back into this thing about sex and love and intimacy and emotions and vulnerability it's so complex and I think especially especially I don't know are we special for men for gay men growing up in this culture where being a man is about being like Nick said you know being hard and being tough and being fast and being now I don't know how many straight men are comfortable with saying can I just have a cuddle Mm. and maybe that goes back to Alexander's question maybe this straight married man isn't looking for a fuck maybe he just needs a cuddle I think as well the most telling revealing uh point about meeting someone is after they've come in that like 30 seconds you get to know so much about who that person is <laughs> in, that, in that time frame and you're like oh okay this is this this is when you see the vulnerability like clo- like close in or if they're just very open and you're like okay i'm you're you're letting yourself just be in this post is it coital moment um yeah I've, I've really learned a lot about people's um personalities based on that 30 second time frame afterwards it's very interesting i feel like a, so a whole episode could be devoted to that and maybe that's why biologically men are designed just to fall asleep afterwards because then we don't have to talk about how we feel <laughs> maybe maybe <laughs> So on that note, we have covered, I mean, we've gone from an intimate threesome to a fantastic foursome. We've covered a lot of ground in this episode and I'm sure there's more to, more to come mm-hmm. um, because this is just such a complex thing and it's been so lovely having such an open conversation about those things. And as always, I'm just blown away by everything I now say feels like it's an innuendo. I'm blown away by the, four, by the three of you and your honesty and your vulnerability and your generosity so thank you um and again these three of you who are all now experienced in leading meditations uh do you want to fight out who fancies doing a quick five minute meditation to take us out of hope cast 11 nick i want you to do it would you want to do it Settling into a comfortable posture, closing your eyes, bringing your attention into this soft, vulnerable animal body of yours. As you take a few breaths, noticing Is there anything that my body is telling me right now, having listened to this conversation? If I drop down below the waves of thought playing across the surface of the ocean of mind, 
what does my body tell me? Do I have a sense of feeling at ease and comfortable? Is there any sense of disquiet in my body in response to perhaps something that I've heard said? being curious about what your body can communicate to you in this moment. There may be sensations in the belly or around the chest. Breathing into whatever is here for you right now. Creating space and allowing whatever is arising within your body to be felt and held. When you think of relationship and becoming intimate with another, does your body respond with a feeling of excitement or fear or some other emotion? whatever is here for you is okay to feel. There's no way that you have to be. Knowing that the first relationship there is, is with yourself. And if it feels as if it will be of support, bringing your hands to your body. You might bring them to your belly or a hand to your chest and a hand to the belly or both hands to the heart, whatever feels right for you. Maybe even bringing your hands to your shoulders and to a hug, just asking your body, how would you like to be touched right now? And the hand positions might shift as your body alters its response. the primary thing that this vulnerable animal body of ours wants is 
this kind touch, this holding. So for a few minutes, simply giving this kind touch to yourself. Maybe recognizing that a lot of our life is spent reaching out to others, trying to be something for the other person in order to receive a moment of touch or holding, a cuddle. And here right now you can give this to yourself. Breathing into that touch. Feeling the warmth of your hands, the contact of your hands with your body. Through your hands, letting yourself know, I'm here. I love you. simply noticing how this is, whether it brings about a feeling of ease and warmth or whether it brings up any sensations or emotions of difficulty and simply learning from how it is as you bring this kindness to yourself. Can I simply bring this loving touch to myself or does something get in the way of it? Taking a few more long, slow, deep breaths into this holding. to come to rest and knowing that you can return to this self-care practice whenever you need it. Noticing how it feels in your body after these minutes of holding and touch. Whether the mind is maybe a little more calm moving the fingers and toes, taking a deep breath in and breathing out, slowly opening your eyes.
Thank you, Nick. That was really beautiful. That's such a lovely way to just try and integrate some of those thoughts that I was having and really bring that attention to myself and to the contact with myself. So thank you. So we've reached the end of a, a big one, a mammoth one. Um, how's everyone doing? We've covered a lot of stuff today. Good. Just a lot more things to talk about based on this one. I hope it expands mm. our conversation. Yeah, we've just uh, unlocked a lot of new chapters. Excited to um, build on those and see the expansiveness and where it's going to go. Yeah, yeah, it feels um, very relevant at the moment as uh, sort of like exploring all of this. And, and I think maybe for just great to be able to have an authentic conversation around it and, and, and maybe that's where we can explore a bit more because I think, you know, we live in an Instagram world where everyone shows their perfect relationships and, um, you know, uh, allowing people to sort of know that they're not alone in maybe their vulnerability or confusion or struggle around relationships as well as, you know, people being able to sort of share where they've had their insights and wisdom around how things can work. I think that's really valuable. It's been such a rich conversation. I feel like we have just begun to open Pandora's box on this. Which, and actually the, the thing that was left in Pandora's box was hope after everything else escaped. So maybe that's where we start from, a place of hope. Thank you, everyone. Um, Matthew, Nick, I'm going to come to you last because I know that we always have to kind of go, where am I on this thing? Matthew, where can you find, where oh, where can you find yourself? That's a good question, isn't it? Where can you find yourself? <laughs> where can people find you on social media? Uh, you can find me on Instagram and it's at Ella Varide, which is spelled E-L-L-A-V-E-R-Y-D-E. Thank you. And Oliver, where can people find you? Um, at Amaris Vite, A M is Amari, A R is Robert, I S V I T is in Tom, A E. It's Thank across you. all social media. Thank you. And Nick, where can people find you? You can find me on Linktree, which um, I need to put my glasses on so I can see. <laughs> uh, so it's uh, Link. Tree, that's l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e forward slash evolving minds with an n with an s at the end thank you we'll put all those links into the notes uh, you can find me at dr paul taylor pitt and if you want to follow hopecast we are at hopecast podcast on all the socials if you have a question for what would Buddha do, which, you know, we've now raised the bar on these, but I can't wait to see what comes in next. You can email us at wwbd at hopecastpodcast.com or slide into our DMs. Uh, if you're a straight married man, then you're welcome. <laughs> Sorry, Matthew, I spat his water out. Um, <laughs> and I've lost my thread. So yeah, find us, review us, rate us, five stars, anything less than five stars is homophobic. And we'll be back again with an extra cast next week. And then in two weeks time, we'll be back again with a full panel. Thank you everyone for being here today. And thank you everyone for listening. We'll see you soon. <laughs>